There's been a whole lot of attention on the very acrimonious Republican primary for attorney general. But there's also a fairly compelling Democratic contest. And former Cass County Prosecutor Teresa Hensley is hoping to come out on top in that race. The Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. I think that is fair yes, to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. It's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis today is... Joe Manis. And joining us all the way from scenic and beautiful Cass County, I would think, uh, we have as our special guest today... Teresa Hensley. A candidate for attorney general. A Democrat. A former Cass County prosecutor. And uh, this is kind of us patting ourselves on the back, but with Hensley's appearance on the show, we have now had every major candidate for statewide office on our show, with the exception of the U.S. Senate candidates, which we're hoping to get on probably after the primaries. Yes. So so we appreciate you uh, capping this milestone for us a little bit. Um, Just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your your professional experience, and kind of how you got into politics. Okay. Well, I've been an attorney for over 24 years. I was in private practice for 14 years with... um, the Hensley Law Office, and in 2005, I became the prosecutor in Cass County, and I was there for 10 years. I was elected again in 2006 and 2010, and uh, I'm very proud of the record that I have there as prosecutor. And so I think that, um, you know, having 14 years of practicing law before I became a prosecutor, um, I think made a tremendous difference as prosecutor. I have a really strong record as prosecutor. In fact, I'm the only candidate, really, that has been an elected prosecutor and has the experience uh, of 24 years continuous practice. Um, you know, having 14 years of practicing law uh, with real people in real courtrooms before I became the prosecutor, I was able to hire and train and supervise uh, assistant prosecutors uh, in handling a job that was uh, that is as important as a prosecutor's job is. You know, talking about the uh, experience and the importance of a prosecutor, um, you know, we make a change and a difference in people's lives, both those who we charge uh, and those victims that we are protecting in society generally. Uh, and so the prosecutor's office is such an important office, and I'm so very passionate about what I did there. I'm very proud of my record, and I think I'm well suited to be the next attorney general. Now, there's been a lot of f- philosophical discussion among the candidates, uh, Democrat and Republican, over whether or not you need a prosecutor as opposed to somebody oh. who's aware of the the philosophy of of dealing with the larger issues. You have segued into That's one of right. our first clips. That's right. Wow, I didn't know it was going to be this early, but we'll 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 go with it. Um, what Joe is alluding to is the fact that um, you know on our on our last show that we had an attorney general candidate on, Josh Hawley, um, I think both Joe and I asked him about whether a lack of prosecutorial experience would matter to doing the job. Here's actually what he had to say about that. But his argument is if you don't have any prosecutorial experience, it's going to leave the Republican nominee vulnerable to attacks from the Democrat. 
How do you respond to that? That sounds like arguments politicians make all the time. You know, oh, I'm more electable because of this, or, or, or my experience, I have passed 15 bills that deal with that. Nobody knows what that means. Look, we need to elect a, a person who is ready to do the job. The next attorney general of Missouri should be a constitutional lawyer. That is a fundamental part of what this office does. It's an area where we need help, where we need reinforcements and leadership, and I am ready to do that, and I'm ready to take that argument, that campaign, to the people of Missouri. So I'm sure you've heard that before. What's kind of your response to that response from Josh Hawley? Because he was basically responding to an attack from his Republican opponent, Kurt Schaefer, on that issue. Well, let's be clear. The attorney general's office is the top prosecutor of the state of Missouri. It is the people's attorney with over 180 attorneys in that office. In the last 30 days, 30 to 60 days, um, the attorney general's office has done things like um, prosecute Medicaid uh, fraud and tax fraud and consumer scams and two murder cases and a child sex abuse case. Uh, It is a prosecutor's office, and they're all cases that I have done as a prosecutor. And so when you're looking at um, having a record of 21 murder convictions out of 21, uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, convictions for violent crimes like home invasion and and armed robbery, uh, and you're looking at having over 500 Uh, sexual assault, child abuse uh, cases, and domestic violence. Um, That's what the Attorney General's Office does on a daily basis. They send out uh, assistant attorney generals all across the state who are in court all across the state day in and day out. Uh, And it ought to be someone who has hired and and supervised and trained those attorneys to go into trial and to go into into court. Um, But if Josh Hawley thinks this isn't um, an office where law enforcement is needs to be a strong background. He's just wrong, and, and it matters. Now, of course, then there's been this discussion uh, about you versus your Democratic opponent, Jake Zimmerman. Uh, Zimmerman is the St. Louis County Assessor. He is a lawyer, and he has worked in the AG's office, but his specialty was not necessarily uh, the mur- murder cases and some of the things that you've dealt with. Um, there's been a lot of discussion within the Democratic Party over the last six months over what sort of person should be running for attorney general. Do you feel that your experience makes you stronger going into the general if you were to win the primary as opposed to Zimmerman? Or how do you see it between you and Zimmerman? Well, I I think it does. Let's say that you're going to hire, that they're going to hire someone new to run the radio station. And you have two candidates, one who has um, worked in a radio station for four years in four different radio stations and then didn't work in a radio station for 10 years. Or you have someone who has been working in a radio station for 24 years and wants that job. Um, Experience does matter, and it matters tremendously, especially when we're talking about an office that has over 180 attorneys. So it is an uh, office that uh, you're the top managing partner of a pretty big law firm, and it is at the same time uh, handles tremendous prosecutorial cases like murder cases and child sex abuse cases, all of which I've taken um, you know, great priorities and pride in doing training and, and making sure that we are handling those cases appropriately. Now, you know, one of the things we asked Zimmerman when he was on our show a little over a year ago is he, and, and I, this is, I guess, a little bit disrespectful to his Republican opponents, but I, I would not say that he has faced fairly competitive elections. He either had was running in a safe Democratic House seat. And then when he ran for assessor, maybe his first opponent was stronger than his second opponent. But I I, I guarantee you the time he ran for re-election, he was running against someone who I wouldn't even classify as a placeholder opponent. And that was kind of a demerit toward him. 
But I guess one thing that gets brought up maybe either as a strength or a weakness toward you is you ran in 2012 for Congress against Vicki Hartzler. Um, you were it was her first reelection bid, so it was seen as a more competitive race for her. And you lost pretty soundly. And some may say, how can you make the transition from that sort of race to statewide office and and be successful? I, I kind of want you to respond to that because that may be brought up as a demerit toward you. Well, I, I think that we've had lots of successful uh, elected office holders who have lost an election along the way. And let's remember that in 2006 and 2010, I won in what is pretty much a Republican county. Uh, I took on the uh, 2012 race because I believe that uh, it needed a, a strong Democrat. You can't let uh, races like that and someone like Vicki Hartzler go unanswered. And so I knew going in that it would be an uphill battle. I knew it was a difficult Republican district to run in, but I, I think it was worth it. Uh, and I, I gained tremendous experience from doing that. But I don't think that um, says when we're looking statewide uh, and we're looking at winning as Democrats statewide, Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, Columbia, Boone County, they matter, and they matter tremendously. And, and I believe that we have strong Democrat uh, support and votes there. I think we can win uh, statewide as Democrats. Now, for our listeners, just so they know, Vicki Hartzler is a congresswoman from um, the western part of the state, actually. I think she like lives in Cass County. Yes. Yes. She does. She's a fellow Cass County. She was so a to fellow speak. Cass County. And yes, took on. and, yes. and um, she... D- she be- she got a lot of attention because she defeated Ike Skelton. Which was, you know, whatever you think of Vicki Hartzler, and I know that she has some detractors among the Democrats, that was a pretty impressive electoral accomplishment, beating Ike Skelton, even in a Republican wave year in 2010. So what did you learn from that yeah. experience? Well, first, I, I just believe that Democrats should be putting up qualified candidates in every race. We shouldn't have um, any races on the ballot that do not have someone qualified uh, to do the job, and not just some, you know, a name on the ballot, but people who are qualified. Democrats believe in qualified elected officials, and we should be putting up qualified candidates. Uh, but you know, I, I went into this race. I I knew going into this um, that I was uh, going to be behind. I started in uh, August first uh, with zero money and zero committee, and I did so because I am so passionate about the attorney general's office and what I did as prosecutor. So I went in knowing that. Uh, I had a, an uphill battle to raise money, uh, and we'll continue to do that. But this is an office, again, um, that should have someone in there that ha- knows how to do this job. And I would be the first woman attorney general. That's not the reason for people to support me. The reason to support me is that I have more experience than all three men combined in this race. And in fact, as a woman candidate, if I had as little experience as some of the candidates that are in this race, uh, you probably wouldn't have even had me on this, this show. Uh, and so as women candidates. We have to work harder and be more qualified and and do more. Well, that was going to be my next question, because if you do get the nomination, I don't even know if a woman, female candidate has been nominated for an attorney general, let alone one. There there have been some strong women candidates. Like Margaret Donnelly ran for it and actually came very, very close to becoming the nominee. Back in 2008 against Congress. Given the Democratic wave year, she probably would have won the general. But what would it mean if you became the first female attorney general? Because there's been there's been other statewide office holders who have been women before, but the attorney general is not one of them. What do you think it would mean for the state? Well, I do think it comes back to the distinction between me and if it's uh, Kurt Schaefer uh, or Josh Hawley as the, the nominee on the Republican side, because as prosecutor, again, I have some priorities and things that I did that I think uh, would matter. The next attorney general has some responsibilities and some opportunities to address some issues. Uh, and one of those for me is, again, I had over 500 
um, convictions for sexual assault, domestic violence, and child sex abuse cases. Uh, those are the cases that are difficult for people to make, for prosecutors to make. Correct. They're the he said, she said cases. Uh, we filed them and we made them over 500 times because I made a point of making them a priority from our victim advocacy to uh, investigations and training with law enforcement and child support and uh, children's division. So I feel like we um, have the ability at the next uh, attorney general to really start talking about uh, what sexual assault and child sex abuse cases mean around the state. Um, I, there are, uh, in the last election, we had a tremendous number of new uh, prosecutors that were elected to office, and um, they are inundating the attorney general's office because they have such few such few years of experience. Many of them had two or three or four years experience before they became prosecutor. And uh, they're inundating the attorney general's office. So the next attorney general uh, actually not only will continue to do what they've been doing, sending out their assistant attorney generals around the state to handle uh, cases with uh, local prosecutors, but I think it's going to have to do some training as to what it means to be a prosecutor. When I would hire assistant prosecutors, you know, you talk to them about uh, taking serious what's serious, but uh, also understanding that you don't always charge uh, a criminal, sometimes you charge someone who just made a really bad decision on any given night. And so, you know, experience brings knowledge, uh, and that knowledge uh, is important in these types of, of races. Now, what's been the biggest challenge as you've been running? I mean, you did mention the financial issue. I mean, money raising is a challenge for many candidates. In some cases, for whatever reason, sometimes women or minorities sometimes have a more challenging um, time raising money. I'm just interested how you see your reception right now, and will you have enough, A, to run against Zimmerman, but then you're going to have to, assuming you win the nomination, you're going to have to turn around and run against, you know, um, Schaefer or Hawley in what has been a pretty high-profile fight between Contentious them. Contentious one, too. Right. Well, I think that will matter for either of us. So whoever wins the primaries are going to have to start over again raising money because it's going to be spent during that time. Um, it, it, you're right. The, the biggest hurdle for me is raising money. Everything else... Uh, comes pretty naturally. When I start talking about experience and what I've done as prosecutor and why I'm, I'm passionate about uh, being the next attorney general, my priorities of um, you know, sexual assault and talking about it, I would like to talk about um, the uh, alternative courts. Uh, that's been one of my priorities as well from the very beginning. Uh, and so I think that folks are pretty receptive to the fact that experience matters, and it matters when you're talking about the people's attorney in Missouri. Well, I wanted to also play a clip from Schaefer's appearance on Politically Speaking because we also kind of asked him about his philosophical approach to managing the office. Um, and also kind of a devil's advocate question about why prosecutorial experience matters. Here's what he had to say about that. Well, think about this, sure. because there is no doubt a managerial aspect to that. Mm -hmm. But it is a very important state office with a $36 million annual budget and 440 employees, which mm -hmm. you are in charge of managing. And half of those 440 employees are lawyers that are out there every day in Missouri courtrooms litigating either civil or criminal cases. If you are the one who is ultimately responsible for their courtroom activity and the outcome of their cases, I would say it's pretty important that you've actually done that job and that you can help provide them in a direction with guidance of how those cases should go and how they should proceed in cases. Now, unlike Holly, uh, Kurt Schaefer, before he was a state senator, I think in the 1990s under yeah. the Jade Nixon administration, was an assistant attorney general. I think he was there for three or four years, and he has touted his that experience as, as one of the reasons he should be elected. So a lot of this is what ifs. We don't know who the Republican nominee is going to be, but if he's the Republican nominee and you're the Democratic nominee, how are you going to basically use your prosecutorial argument against him when he has some himself. 
Well, first off, let me thank him for the comments he just made in your interview because he just made the argument as to why Teresa Hensley should be the Attorney General and not Kurt Schaefer. I'm the only candidate that's been an elected prosecutor who has managed attorneys to go into court, hired and trained and supervised attorneys to go into trial. And so I, he may have some prosecutorial experience that he claims uh, in practicing law. He has not ever been an elected prosecutor, and he's not been in a policy position or a managerial position uh, with attorneys. I'm the only candidate in this race that has done that. Now, there, one of the debates that's going on in this race, especially on the Republican side, but this is reflecting, I think, arguments in some other states as well. You've got some attorney generals, many of them Republicans, who see the office more as advancing philosophical arguments. In many cases, they're battling the federal government over this issue or that issue. And you're seeing that in a number of states. Um, from what you're saying so far, it sounds like you're saying, no, the job is mainly, you know, we're the chief prosecuting, prosecuting operation in the state, and we're supposed to be dealing with crimes and this and that. But how do you ha answer those who, I mean, one of the reasons Holly is getting some attention is because he was involved in the Hobby Lobby case. I mean, the the but I've seen it in some other states and even too. Schaefer has made a big deal about Planned Parenthood and guns. So I think he's kind of taking a philosoph and, same similar and, philosophical and approach. And how do you see the attorney general's role vis-a-vis -vis the um, federal government? Well, and let's talk about the attorney general's office as a whole. It, it does do a tremendous uh, amount of. Um, its part in criminal prosecutions around the state. Uh, but is the Missouri Attorney General's uh, place to make sure that Missourians uh, have you know, a safer and better life and that we are protected uh, from people like predatory lenders and consumer scam artists and those who would pollute our air and water? But you know, when you, when you look at what the Attorney General's office does, even there, going after someone who is polluting uh, our water or someone who is um, taking advantage of our consumers, you're still prosecuting, it's a civil prosecution, but you're still filing a lawsuit uh, that is going after someone who is doing something, who's violating the laws of Missouri. Uh, and that's what the Attorney General's office does. It enforces the laws of the state of Missouri. Uh, and for me, it is not um, a political office, it is a law office first. And it is a law office first and foremost with over 180 attorneys in that office. So let's kind of delve, we, we, we usually do the political stuff second and the policy stuff first, but I guess we've inverted that. So let's talk about policy because while a lot of what we're going to talk about would be the responsibility of the legislature to do, the attorney general has, you know, some sway in telling what the legislature should do on criminal justice and law enforcement issues. So the first thing I want to bring up is is the current attorney general, Chris Coster. He was talking with Joe last week at the Truman Dinner about combating gun violence. And one of the things that he talked about that's been unresolved is, is this gun docket, which, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, would basically allow maybe St. Louis or Kansas City to have just a, a, a streamlined docket where a judge would just hear gun-related cases, basically. Yes. I think that's basically what it is. And if I paraphrase that wrong, I apologize. This is what he had to say to, to Joe about that particular issue. The other part of it is something else we talked about for a long time, which is gun court. And these gun dockets mean higher bail and tougher bail requirements for um, felons in possession. And then, quite honestly, more stringent prison sentences without parole uh, for criminals who are choosing to carry. Your felon in possession, the Missouri laws, I think, should mirror the federal laws um, more closely than they do on this issue. But it's a 
it's a chronic problem that is, quite honestly, I think, uh, beginning to spin out of control, more than begin, is spinning out of control in the city. Now, the reason I'm bringing this issue up is, well, I think this it does have some bipartisan support. When this was brought up in the city of St. Louis, a lot of judges pretty strongly disagreed with this idea. And obviously, the attorney general's office has relationships with judges. They try to win cases in front of them. I'd be interested to hear your thought on that particular policy, given the friction between some people who want it, like Coster, and some people that don't, like some of the in, people in the judiciary. Well, I think before I can answer that, I need to give you some history of my work in the prosecutor's office. Um, well, I sent a lot of bad folks to, to prison, folks who did heinous and terrible crimes. Uh, I don't think anyone can ever accuse me of being soft on crime. I also did and believe in uh, DWI courts and drug courts. Uh, I believe in alternative courts like DWI courts and drug courts and mental health courts and, and veterans courts. Um, you know, I was in a, a grocery store last September when a man walked up to me and he pointed at me and he said, you're Teresa Hensley, you prosecuted my daughter. I'm in a grocery store. I, you know, a little uneasy at this <laughs> That's point. That's not even funny. And so yeah. I, uh, I, you know, stood there with him for a minute to see where he was going to go. And he then held out his, his hand to shake my hand. He said, I want to thank you. He said, you put my daughter through drug court. And she was successful in that drug court. She now is married with a baby and has a, a job. She is a um, productive citizen of our community. But he said, more so, you gave me my daughter back. Uh, and so we have the ability to take serious what's serious, and those who need to be uh, not walking the streets, who need to be in jail, to jail, and to take those who uh, can be rehabilitated. In Cameron, Missouri right now, they're getting ready at the, at the prison up there. The warden told me they're getting ready to build an addition of 174 new beds for mental health issues. Our taxpayer dollars are spending money on nonviolent criminals to be in jail. And so it is a matter of weighing that, um, you know, gun court as to uh, it, it takes, again, those who have experience, have knowledge, and have better judgment. And uh, making those decisions is what would, would work best. And so as, a, as Attorney General, um, I would love to have a task force that starts looking at how do we best handle a drug court or a, a gun court? How do we best uh, handle and make available and accessible mental health courts and veterans courts around the state of Missouri so that we're not v filling our prisons with uh, nonviolent crimes? And, and I'll tell you, you know, I've watched the videos. Uh, I had a, a victim that I can, I can see her face now when, when she's working at a convenience store and someone walks in and puts that gun in her face. And I watched it over and over, uh, that video. I know how terrifying that would have to be. And so, again, it, it's a matter of us. It, it, is, it should be a, a discussion for the next attorney general. Uh, I would like to be that attorney general that pulls together a task force and says, let's start talking about where we go from here, and we bring everybody to, to the table and we make some decisions. Now, one of the fallouts from the whole um, Ferguson debate back in 2014 is whether or not <clears throat> some have been calling for special prosecutors to be appointed in the case of um, shootings that involve a police officer. And the attention has been put on the attorney general's office as the, as the uh, proposed person or office that would either be the special prosecutor or appoint a special prosecutor. Then there have been others who say the AG's office has so many things on their plate, they just can't be dealing with this. I'm interested in your take on this. Well, I, I think the next attorney general has, uh, again, the opportunity and the responsibility to be pulling together some task forces that look at the, we've had some real issues come forward with respect to guns and to police shootings in the last 
uh, year or two. And so um, I do think that we need to have those discussions. We need to bring as many smart people to the table as we can and say, okay, here's what we want to look at. We want to look at this issue. And, and uh, police shooting and training is something that I think uh, – we should be looking at and discussing and deciding what we want to do to go forward. So let me talk about that for a minute, too. In the prosecutor's office for 10 years, I didn't just sit in my office uh, and prosecute bad people and, and charge people with crimes. Um, I had uh, alternative programs that I did. I had task forces that I brought together every um, group that I could. If we thought there was a problem, we brought groups to the table to, to discuss things. And I did a lot of preventative programs. And I did a lot of law enforcement training and children's division training. And um, I think that the attorney general uh, has a responsibility to uh, look at the community and, de and determine what areas can be addressed. Um, you know, when you're looking at um, issues of crime, in the police reports that I read time and time again, what are you looking at? Mental health issues, drug abuse, and alcohol abuse are the basis of most of our crimes. And underneath that layer is uh, better education and job opportunities and affordable housing. Uh, and we can't deal with crime rate until we start dealing with the basic level of what we're doing in our communities. Uh, and mental health issues, I think, are one of those that we gutted years ago that we need to start addressing as well. well. To kind of follow up on Joe's point, because I think this is going to be an important issue not only in the attorney general's race but the governor's race, is how to move forward in a post-Ferguson world. I know that you're from the Kansas City area, yeah. but obviously what happened to Michael Brown was international news and it has affected yes. policy across the state. There has been, I don't want to call the Ferguson Commission a task force, but it was basically an entity that was appointed by the governor that made a whole bunch of policy recommendations, including the one that Joe just mentioned now, which I which I agree is controversial and not everybody agrees with. But just generally, like if you're attorney general and you are a statewide leader in moving the state forward after Ferguson to bridge racial and economic divides, how are you going to do it? Well, again, I, I believe the next attorney general has a responsibility and the opportunity to do that very thing. And when you look at the Ferguson report, it talks about uh, the need to have affordable housing and good job opportunities and, and make sure that we're, we're taking care of education. Uh, but it is about bringing everybody to the table. So you bring the FOP and you bring Black Lives Matter and you bring clergy and civic leaders and judges. Uh, and we design a task force that or a council um, whatever you want to call it, that starts those discussions about how we're going to handle um, all of the issues that were addressed in the Ferguson report. And I, I think the next attorney general has that responsibility to do so. Now, one of the things that the Republicans have brought up in their contest, and I think whichever one wins, they're going to bring it up in the general, um, is the view of using the attorney general's office to uh, focus on some social issues, either gun rights or not gun rights, and like Planned Parenthood, I mean, while um, Senator Schaefer's been focusing that in the legislature, he has made clear that he sees the AG's office as some place to go after stuff like that, and so has, has Holly. In other words, their uh, opposition to uh, abortion rights is going to be something that they're going to be using if they're elected attorney general. How do you see some of these social issues playing out? Because they're Whoever wins on their side is going to be focusing on this in the general. They're going to be bringing that up, saying that we're the conservatives and we can best represent Missouri values. If you're the attorney general nominee, how would you frame it and how do you counter some of that? Or maybe you don't. Well, I think, uh, I think Missouri, you know, we're the show me state. I think that Missourians, um, they don't want to be 
uh, told that the outcome is fair and reasonable and, and reflects um, equality. They want to be shown that the process, the judicial system, is fair and equitable along the way. And they expect, I think, that the, the attorney general who is there to enforce the laws and to protect them from those, again, who would prey on our most vulnerable, uh, our seniors and our children, um, I think they expect them to be there to enforce the law. And, and let's talk about, you know, Kurt Schaefer um, continued to intimidate and harass Planned Parenthood with that subpoena. And here's a man who is an attorney. He understands that Supreme Court Rule 5503 requires that uh, we have a reasonable basis if we're going to uh, issue a subpoena. Here's a man who wants to be our next attorney general. He wants to be the top lawyer, the people's attorney of the state of Missouri. And yet we have watched that even though he knew that Planned Parenthood investigation was done, that the very people who initiated it had been charged with a crime, he still continued to push and harass with that subpoena. Uh, and I think that a, a, should be a real fear for Missourians, uh, that the, the person who is the attorney general has the ability to charge someone uh, and to handle criminal cases and would do that. Well, and I think it's important to, that, that we understand that that's, um, again, a law office first. Now, uh, kind of on the flip side, because the, the legislature, I would say, is very strongly opposed to abortion rights, and they pass laws all the time that often get litigated, and the attorney general's mm -hmm. office has to defend. I mean, this probably happened when Nixon was attorney general and when Coster was attorney general. I know that, I, I, I'm, and I may be wrong here, I think that you and your Democratic opponent got the NARAL endorsement. I know that you did for sure. If, if you have to defend something that is restrictive to abortion— but it is the law that you have to defend. How are you going to do that knowing that you may not agree with the law that, that is basically being put in front of you? And that may be a larger philosophical question to how do you defend the state even if the legislature passes laws you disagree with, essentially? Yeah, the attorney general's office is first and foremost to enforce the law. And I think uh, as attorney general, you do have to set aside sometimes your personal feelings in order to enforce the law to do the right thing. And so again, I think that's why this is so uh, important to me and why I'm so passionate about it. I spent 10 years in the prosecutor's office where, um, you know, I didn't have a file that we couldn't, couldn't pull and say why we did what we did on it and that we worked really hard to do the right thing on every case. Uh, and so I am very passionate about the fact that this is a law office first, and it is the job of the attorney general to enforce the law. So on another issue that kind of deals with something the attorney general's office does now is the racial profiling report. We asked this to, to Josh. How I want to ask this to you. I think that there is a general consensus among both parties that the report right now that the attorney general is mandated to put out by state law is inadequate. And it's not necessarily the fault of the attorney general, though that could be debated depending on your perspective. It's just that when it was written, there was no real enforcement from any anybody, whether the attorney general or the governor, to follow up on cities that have racial profiling problems. The only punishment is if you don't turn in the data, then you get withheld money. And the other problem that people put up all the time is they feel like the way the data is computed can have so many variables that it's not very useful. The thing that gets brought up all the time is Ledoux has a very high index of racial profiling. I'm using that to paraphrase. But they point out that there's numerous highways that go through them, the city that changes it changes the, the number for them. So I guess it's kind of a multi-part question, but even though the legislature would have to change it, what would you want to see changed during that process? And maybe what would you do as attorney general outside of statute being changed to make that report more effective? 
Well, I do think there needs to be some auditing. There needs to be some, some oversight so that uh, someone can see the records that it's not just a matter of turning the numbers into the attorney general, but that someone is uh, overseeing and looking that, that the data is being collected. I mean, it's pretty easy uh, to have a, a ticket. In fact, I had a gentleman who uh, asked me uh, just two weeks ago, an African-American gentleman had gotten a ticket, and he said on my ticket it didn't say um, that I was African-American. It didn't give my height. It didn't give my uh, gender. It didn't give anything on the ticket except my name and my address and my Social Security number. And so, again, clearly it's easy to uh, get by that if all we're doing is requesting that they give us the numbers. And so, again, if, if we're, as a state, uh, going to say that we take profiling seriously, and we should, then we should have a system in place that is an accurate system. Now, I know that you succeeded when you actually, Chris Coster was Cass County prosecutor. Bob Holden appointed you in the last days of his term to the office. So I know that you probably know him well and have probably been watching his attorney generalship pretty closely. I want to know what you think he did well as attorney general and some things that maybe he fell short on that you would like to improve. Because when you come, if you are the next attorney general, you will get to reshape the office to however you want. I'd like to know kind of your sense of how he's done over the last eight years. Well, clearly he was uh, he was the Republican prosecutor when I was That's a, true. <laughs> when I was a Democratic defense attorney in his county, and so for the 14 years that I was practicing, some of that was while he was uh, a prosecutor. So yes, Chris and I have been on uh, both sides uh, as friends and as uh, adversaries. I uh, I took the office in 2005. He became a state senator, and there was two years left on his term. And Governor Holden did appoint me to take that, and then I ran in 2006. Uh, and so I took over an office that um, I felt like um, was well run. And uh, you have to give um, Chris credit. He hires good people. And so I, uh, I feel like there are really good people in the Attorney General's office there now. Um, I think that uh, it is an office that I can take and, and, again, do the things that I did in Cass County. So I, I took being the prosecutor and I, I added to that then preventative programs. I went out over 500 times and did a women's safety program, a program called Keeping Kids and Teens Safe in the Real World. I did a senior scam program. I did a merchant scam program. Um, I did these alternative courts that started in two, January of 2005 when I took over. They had started in process, but um, I took over then in January. They started January of 2005. Uh, and I did a lot of training. Um, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, the folks who are working on the investigation today need to understand what it is I have to make at trial uh, so that they can do a good job on the day they're, they're doing that. And uh, things change. Best practices uh, are important. And so uh, the Missouri Association of Prosecuting Attorneys, um, my last couple of years, I was the chair of the best practices for DWI and traffic safety. Uh, we should always be looking as prosecutors and the attorney general at the best practices and uh, sharing that then with law enforcement and children's division, the juvenile office, we should all be uh, on the same page as to what best practices are, whether it's working a DWI uh, or it's handling a child sex abuse case. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in best practices. And so uh, I, would, I would probably uh, ramp up a little bit trying to do more trainings uh, with prosecutors and with law enforcement and talking about everybody trying to, you know, bring up their best practices uh, and always be looking at that. Um, so I, I, I probably... Um, reached out to the community more than Chris did as prosecutor and probably would do so uh, as attorney general. How can we, um, looking at ways to, to put, bring people together to, to solve some issues that we see around the state. Now, w without showing your hand, because I know everybody has their tactical secrets, 
Um, you know, here you are, you're heading into roughly the last six weeks of the campaign. How do you plan to get your message out on some of these issues? How do you get the public engaged? Uh, Democrats historically have not turned out well in the August primary. So it some so targeting sometimes becomes a more important factor in August than November even. So as you're looking at, you know, the issues that you want to advance, but at the same time you want to get people to come out to vote for you, I mean, what? how do you see things playing out over the next few weeks? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, in August the Democrats will have a low turnout, but the, the good news, I think, for me is that the low turnout means that it is voters who vote time and time again, and they're the very voters who are always most well-informed. Uh, and I think Democrats who are well-informed will look to see who has the most experience and um, who can, can win in the general uh, and who should be our next attorney general. And I'm, I'm confident that um, the voters for the, gen for the primary in August will, will make the right decision and pick the person with the most experience. And, and I think my 24 years of experience matters. And I think that one of the other things that matters in, in primaries is you've gotten some pretty notable endorsements. I know Jennifer Joyce has endorsed you. Um, she initially endorsed Scott Sifton along with a lot of other people. But when he dropped out of the race, I think a lot of people who supported him ended up supporting you. Uh, what, how do you think that's going to matter? Because sometimes endorsements of, of high-profile people don't make a difference, like in the Republican presidential race, but sometimes in Democratic primaries here, they can matter. So how do you think that's going to play? Well, I am proud of having uh, both Jennifer Joyce and, and Senator Scott Sifton's endorsement. Um, but I, again, I think that it comes down, the, the reason those are important is that they speak to my experience. Uh, and so again, I think that um, endorsements uh, are great to have, and I, I am appreciative of my friends. Um, but I, I still think that the voters will, will make a decision, uh, an informed decision, because, again, it's the primary and it'll be voters that are, are voting time and time again. I guess my last question for you is right now the race between Holly and Schaefer is reaching thermonuclear levels in terms of nastiness and rancor. I would say the race between you and Zimmerman has not reached that level, though I think that both of the supporters of you and your opponent are pretty passionate. And I think that there has been some grumblings on each side, I guess. And Joe, we were going to. Yeah, I mean, have you had that many joint appearances or debates or forums between the two of you? We had a, a debate a week and a half ago. The uh, St. Louis Metropolitan Bar Association, which they had, did not tell reporters about. <laughs> I'm still well, irked about that. They had their bench bar meeting down at the lake, and they invited all four candidates. So all four of us were invited. Uh, Kurt Schaefer did not show up for that debate. Um, Josh Hawley and and Jake and I were there, and and truly. Um, you know, Jake and I have core Democratic values that are, are very similar. We, we both um, care about Missourians very much, uh, and I think that's why uh, experience in this race uh, matters so much. And I was just going to ask, like, do you expect the race between you two to get contentious in the next few weeks, or do you think you can keep it reasonably civil? Well, I think uh, I think both of us, uh, again, are, uh, are strong Democrats, and we, we care about what happens in the general and that we win this. And so unlike Holly and Schaefer who want to beat each other up and give great, they've given great ammunition uh, for me when I'm running against them in the general, uh, I don't see us doing that. Well, well, I'm going to make the same offer to that we've made to all the statewide aspirants. One of the prizes for winning the primary is you get to come back in the general <laughs> and be interviewed again. Thank you very much for making the trip here. We appreciate your time for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. 
Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. It's J M A N N I E S. And if I'm not mistaken, and I'm looking it up right now, your your Twitter address is Vote Hensley at Vote Hensley. And it's TeresaHensley.com. Yes. If you'll go okay. to TeresaHensley.com and follow us then on Facebook. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long.